Well, that was a beautiful multi-generational choir. Nice job, you guys. What a blessing. Well, I want to wish you all an early Merry Christmas. It's good to be, be together. Isn't it fun to start singing Christmas songs? And, uh, and I wanted to thank you all personally for turning down the temperature outside to make me feel a little bit more at home. That, that was kind of you uh, coming from Chicago. Well, good to see you here. We're in the very beginning of a new series or starting a series, and you might see on your bulletin or on the screen behind you, we're calling it the Christmas Invasion, the Christmas Invasion of the idea of, of God in the form of a man invading this earth. And I was looking just in research a little bit this week of how many different military strategy games are out there, a little uh, confession, anybody else gets sucked into some of these things, Settlers of Catan, Risk, a Access and Allies, I was told is another one. I was looking online, it's not just board games, it's uh, on the PC, it's pretty common as well. L look at me sounding like I'm pretty dated PC, uh, but, but uh, th that, that new World Wide Web. Um, <laughs> And, uh, and so the, the idea, I was, I was reading one, one website had a list of the top 50 best strategy games. I'm like, top 50? That means there's more than 50. Like People <laughs> like this idea of strategy and military strategy. Some really fascinating, fascinated with the idea of kind of the chess move, one kind of responding to another. And some people even have given their, their lives to the study of, of military strategy, obviously in our, our military where they've uh, given their lives to that. But I would have to think that none of them would have proposed or supported the strategy that our God had in invading this earth, right? If you actually stop and think about it, like, wait a second, you're going to do exactly what you wrote about in the book that you wrote? Like, you're going to do exactly what you said? You're, you're going to put a really bright star over your point of entry? That, that, that wouldn't be wise, one would say. Or, or how, about, how about this, upon arrival, being attached to an umbilical cord? Not, not real wise in a military strategy. Teenage parents? Are you kidding me? And uh, like, like, like not exact, no offense, guys. Um, <laughs> but this idea of, of what God put into place as he invaded this earth was not necessarily what we would determine strategic, but he was breaking into, breaking behind, and that's what we're calling today's message, breaking behind enemy lines. And we're going to look this morning at two different kingdoms uh, that he was invading as he came as a baby. But before we do that, let me pray to begin. God, we thank you so much for this chance to be together and even just this whole month being a big old birthday party, celebrating the fact that you chose to not leave us in the kingdom of darkness, but you invaded this world, you invaded into our, our hearts. God, we're just so grateful for that, God. We just pray that now that you'd speak through your word, that you'd be glorified through this message. In Jesus Christ's name I pray, amen. Well, two kingdoms that we're going to look at. The first one is this, that you don't understand what the magnitude of how big of a deal this invasion was until you start to recognize how dark the world is that Jesus invaded. The first thing that I want to point out, the first kingdom, is the idea of the kingdom 
of Satan. And a lot of you are like, wait a second, it's Christmas. What are you doing talking about Satan? But here's the, the reason I bring that up is you can't, when you start to grasp like how dark the reality that this world is around us, it only amplifies the light of Jesus Christ. And so I want to talk about this to start with. How is the world Satan's kingdom? A little explanation though, before we dive into that, the idea of angels. We see a lot about angels in uh, this time of the year as well with the good news. They were designed to be messengers. They were created with one simple task. As God designed them, they had the, the job of messaging. They were to herald or proclaim whatever God asked them to do. Many times I find myself revisiting this conversation with my kids where I'm saying, listen, at this point in your life, you have one simple job. What do you think that is? To obey your parents. And so I go back to that time and time again with my, with my kids, just like, you have one simple task. There's no parents nodding there. Is that not right? And, uh, and so the, this idea of one simple task of, of obedience to the parent and the similar idea, angels were designed with one simple task, obedience to the father to proclaim whatever he asked them to proclaim. But like us, angels were given free will. They had to choose to accept or reject God's leadership. They had that, that choice. They had that crossroad. And so the idea, the, the idea of spiritual beings, it's interesting in Scripture that they do have the ability to take human form. They radiate light and they, they tend to invoke fear. Have you noticed that? Most times when an angel is introduced in Scripture, what's the first thing they say? Fear not, exactly, because why would you say fear not if, unless you're pretty scary or intimidating? And so they, they have the potential to invoke fear, but the idea because of this object or this uh, option to accept or reject God's leadership is that because of that, some, as we describe as demons, the Greek word means unclean spirit, is an angel that has rejected God and chosen to follow Satan's lead. Satan would have been, been the, the, the chief of those demons, uh, fallen angels, formerly known as Lucifer. Everything that he does is actually a counterfeit of God. So he has many false messengers. If you think about it, he's designed to be a messenger, but now his message is one that's false. We see in Ezekiel 28, a, a book that we don't visit very often in, uh, in, in church. We're going to turn there now. Ezekiel 28 it's in between, or it's after Lamentations, before Daniel. If you have your pew Bible, I see hands flipping. Let's see more. Uh, page 715 and Ezekiel 28 is a great description. It paints two different pictures. It paints the picture of the king of Tyre, or actually, I'm sorry, the prince of Tyre, which would have been the, the current leader of the time. And it's a lamentation towards him or a warning. But then in, in Ezekiel 28, 11, it refers to the king of Tyra, which most theologians would believe because of the description is actually talking about the one over the earthly leader, which would have been Satan. Take a look at the description that it has there. So Ezekiel 28, 11 says this. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me. This is Ezekiel speaking. He said, son of man, raise a lamentation over the king of Tyre and say to him, Thus says the Lord God, you were the signet of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering. 
sardius, topaz, and diamond, beryl, onyx, and jasper, sapphire, emerald, and carbuncle, and crafted in gold were your settings and your engravings. On the day that you were, there, you were created, they were prepared. You're an anointed guardian cherub. I placed you. You are on the holy mountain of God. In the midst of the stones of fire you walked. You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created till unrighteousness was found in you. In the abundance of your trade, you were filled with violence in your midst and you sinned. So I cast you as a profane thing from the mountain of God and I destroyed you, O guardian cherub, from the midst of the stone of fire. Your heart was proud because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. I cast you to the ground. I exposed you before kings to feast their eyes on you. Let's pause there for a second. A pretty chilling description of of Satan, wouldn't you say? If you're an artist, you probably wouldn't necessarily draw Satan the way that this describes him. What do we typically draw Satan as? Uh, What color is he? Let's start with that. Usually, usually red. What does he have coming out the back? That sounded weird. Uh, a tail, ho- horns, a pretty, a pretty dark image, a pretty dark image of, uh, but in the text here, what, what does it say? It says, the signet of perfection, perfect in beauty, covered in precious stones. He was, he was, the, he was the pinnacle of beauty. It says that he was the guardian cherub, which would have been the, the, the top angel on the holy mountain of God, in God's presence himself, says that he was blameless in his ways. But look what, at the description of what happened. But his wisdom was corrupted. He was filled with violence. He was proud because of his beauty and cast from the holy mountain of God to the ground or the earth. Isaiah also refers to this fall. And what, what happens next as he's cast to this earth, where he awaits final, where he awaits final judgment. So his his judgment's been stated, but he's in a place now where he's just waiting for that judgment to happen. If you remember in the in the '90s, there was a movie out that was called Dead Man Walking. Anybody remember that one with Sean Penn? This idea of the sentence that had already been made, but it was the story of his life up until that sentence was fulfilled. And that's similar to Satan. The sentence has been been given, but he still exists here on our planet in his kingdom. In his kingdom. In Revelations 12, 14, it says that it wasn't only him that was cast to this earth. He took one third of the angels with him as his helpers, as his messengers, his false messengers. And he's been building his kingdom here on the earth ever since. Three times in the book of John, Jesus refers to Satan as the ruler of this world. 1 John 5.19 describes him as, says, The whole world lies in the power of the evil one. Or 2 Corinthians 4.4 refers to Satan as the god of this world. So he's here, he's waiting judgment, but he's reigning on this earth in the sense of still at work trying to build his kingdom. 1 Peter 5.8 says that he prowls, you guys are familiar with this one, prowls like what? Roaring, lying, seeking to do what? Someone to devour, devour. He wants to do two things. You can see in your notes there, he wants to destroy the lost man and damage the saved man. Destroy the lost man and damage the saved man. For the lost, he blinds minds 
to hinder the understanding of the gospel. He, put, he literally blinds people. A lot of times when you're like, yeah, but is that really what God's word teaches? Look in 2 Corinthians 4.4 4 briefly with me. It says this, or, or just listen in. 2 Corinthians 4.4 4 says this. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. This isn't just an idea. This is something that God's word explains to us, that the world around us has been blinded by Satan. Have you ever come across somebody that just when you're talking to them about anything having to do with God or the gospel, there's, there's literally like a glaze on their eyes. They're just like, it, it's just not sinking in. It's just, it, just, it just can't break through because why? Because they're blinded, blinded within the Satan's kingdom to the truth of the gospel. I remember one time being on a, a missions trip uh, to the Bahamas, a real tough location environment. But uh, we, were, we were there and uh, we were visiting some different uh, nursing homes. And I remember one, one time sitting down with this, this elderly gentleman. He was in his wheelchair and he was sharp as a tack, man. He was telling stories and sharing a dialogue. And I had that came to that, that crossroads in the conversation where I'm like, you know what? I just feel like I, I just need to share the gospel with this man. He just, he's had such a full life. And I, I, I said, man, do you mind if I just share something that's just so important to me in my life and has changed my whole family and started going into the gospel message? And it was crazy. It was like watching something slide over his eyes. It was like a glaze. Like, he, like nothing was connecting with his heart because why? He was blinded. That's what, the, that's what Satan does. He's trying to hinder the understanding of the gospel. That Luke 8.12 talks about it. Revelation 2.10 talks about all that Satan does to hinder the effects of the gospel. You see, evangelism is a spiritual battle. That's why prayer is such a critical piece. It was fun last week seeing Matt McCormick come up in the first service and he was talking about his dad that he'd been praying for for the past 30 years that those blinders would finally come off. That's why it's not something of like, oh, it just needs to be a more slick or compelling presentation. It's a spiritual battle because we're in a spiritual kingdom, a kingdom where Satan has set up rule. So for the lost, he's trying to blind. For the, for the saved man, and many can attest to this, he's trying to do anything possible to damage us. He typically does that through the form of temptation. Think of, I, was, I was trying to break down a list this week of all the areas that he tempts us in, and there's no possible way to capture all that Scripture describes the areas he tempts, and I'll touch on a few. He, he tempts believers towards pride in 1 Chronicles 21, towards materialism in John 2.15 and James 5, immorality in 1 Corinthians 7.5. He tempts us towards lying in Acts 5.3, towards discouragement in 1 Peter 5 towards unforgiveness in 2 Corinthians 2. He promotes false teaching. All of these things, he's trying to tempt us to take us off the track, to keep us out of the game, if you will. All of these things trying to damage the believer. And so much, we were talking about this at a Christmas dinner the other night, uh, staff elder Christmas dinner Friday night. I was talking with a, a few of the other leaders there. and was just talking about how he typically, he set up the world system in such a way that it's not a lot of one-on-one -on -one att attacks on us. It's just the system that's in place. It's, it's already there and it's like he's dangling hooks in the water, right? He knows the bait that we're enticed by. And so he just dangles that he knows what we're going to bite on. 
Which things were going to cause us to, to get off track? I was thinking through this this week, and what are some of those areas? So I was thinking in terms of men. What are, how are men wired up? Men are, are visual creatures. We're, we're designed with, a, with the eye being something that draws us in. I, I see a picture of chocolate chip cookies, and there's something that starts going in my heart. And, uh, and so, But not just with, with cookies. The, the, the truth is Satan uses that for men to dangle what thing with our eyes? What thing? Sexual stuff everywhere. Everywhere you look, internet, TV, uh, you, you, you name it, billboards as you're driving, that's what he uses. He knows it's an area. It was something God designed to be a good thing, but what does he do? It's a false message. It's a false message. He dangles and appeals to the things that we're already drawn to. For women, it's a, it might look, and you can fill in your list of where you see it in the world system, but for, for women, I was thinking about one of the areas that I see bombarded with, and it's a little bit more subtle, Women have a certain longing for security and affirmation in their life. And so what does, what does Satan appeal for? Look at how many movies and things are out there about this, this fantasy world of, of this perfect dream prince that's going to come and solve everything, that's going to change everything. And so there's, this, there's books, there's novels, there's, there's the, this picture of this unattainable I've talked about Chatham Tanning, haven't I, before in here? Like, he's not, he's not real. That's digitally simulated. Like, uh, no, I'm just kidding. But, but, but this, idea of, this idea of this prince that's going to ride up and solve everything, it sends women on this pursuit for the place that God was to play in their life, the role that he was to be the king in their life. And so the, these pursuits, these hooks that are dangling are all the things that Satan uses to pursue or to distract and damage the saved man. But the thing that's encouraging, just as we're talking about this kingdom, as I was, I was thinking about it, hey, I don't want to, I don't want to paint too uh, uh, much of a picture of him having all of this power, power because in, in truth be told, Job 1.12 explains that he's limited by God. In 1 John 4.4, 4, uh, 4, 4, he's not God's equal. He's, he's a creation. He's defeated. He's not omniscient. He's not omnipresent. I love when people are always blaming things like Satan made you do it. And if he's not omnipresent, I'm guessing that out of the billions of people on the planet, you've never encountered Satan. Uh, and, so, and so some of the things that we give credit for is really the old, our old self and our old flesh dipping into those things. But this idea that I love it in uh, James 4, 7, it says this, resist the devil and he'll do what? He'll flee from you. He'll flee from you. This idea he may be king on the, in this world. He may have a kingdom, but he's a weak king. He's not someone that we have to bend a knee to. As believers in Christ, we have victory over him. He's already defeated foes. He's just waiting for his end to finally arrive. But this is one of the two kingdoms that exist here on earth. Earth is a collection of fallen beings and angels aren't the only one. Second kingdom I want to point out is this idea, is a kingdom of self-gods. A kingdom of self-gods. So kingdom number one Jesus was invading was the kingdom of Satan, the kingdom of self-gods. Let me explain. If you'll turn with me in your, your Bibles to Genesis, you're all familiar with this passage, Genesis 2.15. Genesis 2.15 says, The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil 
you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Let's pause there for a second. Why couldn't they eat from this tree? This tree of, what is it described as? The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. See, it represented a choice. This was a major crossroads for man. This was a major decision. Until now, God had directed their steps. Until now, he was the one that was determining what was good and what was evil. God played his appropriate role as God. But man had to decide whether or not to follow his leadership. You can probably guess where this story is going. Just a chapter over, Genesis 3.1 says this. We see what they do with that decision. It says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field, makes sense, that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. Listen to his response. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. In this passage here, and we've read that before, in this passage, Satan is enticing Adam and Eve. He's offering something. What is he offering to them? What is he offering to them? says that if you partake of this, your eyes will be opened. Your eyes. In other words, you're missing out. God is keeping something really good from you. He doesn't, he doesn't beat around the, the bush. He says, you know, he says, uh, and we see this in our own lives. I know you're not supposed to do this, but it's really not that big of a deal. You're missing out if you don't partake. You're missing out. Basically, to me, that's a summary of all of the temptation in high school all the way through, right? You're missing out. You're missing out. You're missing out. How often you hear that message from the world around you. You're missing out. And that's the same appeal that Satan made from the beginning. And it's the same appeal he continues to make. In the description here, verse 5, he actually tells them what they're going to miss out on. It says, you will be, in verse 5, you will be like God knowing good and evil. No longer do you have to submit to this God character that is telling you what's good and evil. Now you'll get to play that part. You'll get to decide what's right and wrong in your eyes. You'll know you're no longer dependent. You're now a self-God, a self-God. And if you think about it, this, this idea of self-God has been playing itself out for generations. Now we have a, a planet of billions of self-gods consumed with themselves walking around. I was thinking about that this week, even with all the stuff going on with government and the pulls and tugs, different directions. What, it, what is government? Basically, government, government is this. Government is the leadership struggle over who gets to decide what is right and wrong, good and evil for the masses, right? 
That's the struggle. They're, getting, they're wanting to determine that for us. And for this, this decision has rippled now into a planet full of self-gods, a kingdom, if you will, of self-gods. It's something that's been inherited by us. Romans 5.18 says this, One trespass, referring to Adam, led to condemnation for all men. In verse 19, it goes on, it says, By the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. It's an inherited thing. It's something that's passed on from generation to generation. It's something we're born with. If you're a parent of young children, it doesn't take very long for you to determine that, yes, kids are born with a sin nature. Like, it didn't take us very long to figure that out, that, that cute little smiling face. No, it's a little sinner. You know, it's a, it's a, it's a little sinner. And, uh, and it's a generational thing. It's passed on from one to the next to the next. And it was inherited all the way back to this crossroads in the garden as to who was going to play the role of God. Who is going to play the role of God? A lot of people are like, whoa, Adam ruined it for all of us. But the truth is, before we start blaming everything on, on Adam and Eve, don't forget our part in this. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. For the wisest man to ever live, Solomon, says this in Ecclesiastes 7.20, Surely there is not a righteous man on earth who does good and never sins. There's none. There's none. We've all blown it. We've started this pattern, this trend that started all the way back with our original rebellion has continued to create a planet full, a kingdom full of self-gods. A lot of us try to kind of downplay this. We're like, yeah, I messed up, but yeah, so does everybody else. I'm only, how, how's this go? I'm only... Exactly, exactly. That's the, that's the problem. We're only human, but the humans have this sin condition that didn't just sever a relationship with God. It didn't just sever, a rebellion didn't sever that relation. But scripture teaches that it actually made man an enemy of God, a perfect and just God. That's something we don't really enjoy talking about. Romans 5.10 refers to us as enemies of God due to our rebellion. Or Romans 9.22, this is a, a scary description, describes us as vessels of wrath. Vessels of wrath. You're like, wait a, wait a second. I don't, I don't know if you've ever had an, an enemy in your life, but I, I think back in uh, one season of life, an arch nemesis in junior high, his name was Jeremy. And uh, th this kid, Jeremy, just wanted, he wanted to fight me like every day after school. Like anybody, any other guys have this with a, a ju in junior high? Like every day he'd be like, after school, man, you're going down. And, uh, and, and I'm like, all right, let's bring it on. But then all, but all the whole day, the whole day, the, all, what is your mind thinking about? Oh, shoot, I got to fight this kid after school. Am I going to do an uppercut? Am I going to do a knee, like a jab? Like you're playing the, this scenario. It, it kind of, it got so, it, it, it haunted you like your entire day. Uh, I think girls even have some of this, like with the, with the cattiness. But, uh, but they're, they're nodding. They're like, yes, that's uh, <laughs> They're like we're fighting after church, in fact. Um, but, uh, but, but this idea of it's, it's one thing, it's one thing to have, it's one thing to have an enemy in junior high that's like, like that rattles in your brain. But when you start to amplify that times a zillion to think of creator God, almighty God, because of our sin and our choice to reject his leadership, describing us as an enemy of God, that should stir us up. 
That should stir us up. Apart from Jesus' grace and invasion into this world, seeing this planet full of billions of people that Scripture describes as enemies of God. This should get our heart racing and keep it racing. But the encouraging thing, you're like, I've been waiting for that the whole message. The encouraging thing is that this idea, this idea of him being, us being enemies didn't just, doesn't just stir our heart. It actually stirred his heart as well. It stirred his heart to action. That's what Christmas is all about. It stirred him to introduce us to a new kingdom. A new kingdom is introduced. The idea, and here's the thing. This invasion is a little different than some of the military invasions that we started by describing. This invasion wasn't to bring punishment and to, and to, to punish and destroy. Luke 19 says, The Son of Man came to seek and save the loss. This wasn't a, 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 mission, a mission of destruction. This was a mission of grace. This was a new kingdom that was coming onto the, the landscape. This was a new option that was now on the table. No longer this, this kingdom of darkness, the kingdom of Satan, the kingdom of self-gods. He was saying, there's a, another option. There's another op- option. He was coming to set up a new kingdom, one of light rather than darkness. One where love conquers hate. One where others are elevated over self. One where grace is extended to the fallen. This is the kingdom we were made for. This is what each of our hearts long for. This Christmas invasion that started with a baby. This Christmas invasion that started with a a vulnerable baby to a teenage parents. This was the invasion that we all desperately, desperately needed. And when we start to recognize the scope of what happened here, how dark the world was, what does that do? That only amplifies how bright and how big of a deal this was. The truth is, and this is my prayer for us, is that we would be living this Christmas in that new kingdom. That new kingdom that's not all about me, 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 me. Like, remember those seagulls? What was that movie? The mine, 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 mine. This idea that it's not, uh, Christmas isn't about more of being mine. It, it's, 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 about, it's about putting others first. It's about celebrating Jesus Christ's birth the way that he designed it. I'm so thankful for that. My prayer is that the magnitude of this invasion would elevate our gratitude to new heights this Christmas. It should bring joy to our world. God, we thank you so much for this time together, and we're just grateful for this chance to, to dig into your word, to worship your son. God, what a gift Sunday mornings are, God. I just pray that as we go through this, this season and wrestle through even this series called Christmas Invasion, that, that, that you would really resonate that in our hearts, God, just the, the scope of what you actually did for us, a rebellious people, God. We're just so grateful that you didn't choose to leave us in that state, that you pursued us, that you love us, you care about us so deeply, God. I pray now as we go into our worlds, into the different places that you have us, that we'd extend that kingdom to everyone we encounter. We pray this in the strong name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Have a wonderful week. God bless you.